Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan with Brandon Peller today. This episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Well, we're eight days from the NHL draft lottery. We're six days from the Hockey Hall of Fame announcing their 2020 inductees. So the campaign has started for not one, but two former senators to get their call to the hall. Then we'll get into our draft prospect rankings with number 11 and our Send Central citizen, Jack Richardson. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Thursday. June 18th, the 41st birthday of one Chris Neal. We'll get into that momentarily, but Pilsy, like I mentioned off the top, we are less than a week away from the Hockey Hall of Fame announcing their 2020 inductees. And you got to think not only a former captain, but a former architect of the organization should hear their names called. Yeah, well, we'll start with the former captain first, Daniel Alfredson. I mean, the resume of this guy is just never-ending, and he's arguably the greatest player to ever play for the centers. I mean, Carlson during his prime was pretty dominant too, but the longevity that Alfie had with 17 seasons with the centers, and a lot of people forget, uh, myself included, he won the Calder in 96 as Rookie of the Year. So, like, he he definitely, from start to finish of his career, he showed he was a dominant player in the NHL. I like how you mentioned start to finish, and we all want to forget that final year that he played in Detroit. But it is a remarkable stat, because not only did he win the Calder Trophy, but he led the Senators in scoring in that 95-96 season. He then led the Detroit Red Wings in scoring, albeit they had some serious injuries. Guys like Zetterberg and Datsuk played less than half the year, but he led a team in scoring as a rookie. And then in his final season, he has to be one of only a handful, if that, to ever accomplish that feat. I can't, like, I'm trying to rack my brain thinking of guys that had massive rookie years and then still had long careers and then their last career uh, year was really well. I mean, Solani, I'm sure he led uh, his team in uh, in his rookie year, but definitely there's no chance he led his team in points in his final year in Anaheim, right? No, he didn't, but something those two have in common, and Solani already in the Hall of Fame, is they both represented their country five times at the Olympics. You know that oh, yeah. only Peter Forsberg has more points internationally for Sweden than Daniel Alfredson? That's it. That's crazy. I would not have guessed that. I would have thought maybe one of the Sedins would have got up there. No, and thanks for bringing up the Sedins. Two also players who I think everyone believes will be in the Hall of Fame. Well, yes. Alfredson has more points than each of them. So these are all building a pretty good case for Daniel Alfredson to be in the Hall of Fame. We've got all next week to continue. Before we move on, though, also we want to talk about Brian Murray. He is so over-deserving. It sucks that... He couldn't get these roses while he can still smell them type thing because he was so instrumental, first as a head coach for years and years in the National Hockey League and then moving into a full-time management role. He was one of those hybrids too for a while where he was the head coach and general manager. I want to say in Detroit, maybe in the early to mid-90s, building the, um, the teams that ultimately ended up going on to win Stanley Cups under Scotty Bowman. And then he was the architect in Anaheim 
that ironically ended up beating his own Ottawa Senators when he was only the head coach when John Muckler was still the GM. Then he steps upstairs in Ottawa and still did a very good job building a team for the final 10 years of his career. So don't you think it's overdue that Brian Murray should be involved in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Who is more made of the fabric of the National Hockey League than Brian Murray? I would agree with you, uh, Ross. And I even think Murray has a better chance of getting in as as a builder than Alfie does as a player because Brian Murray's hockey tree throughout the years, like if you look at all the people that have gone on and had success after working under or with Brian Murray, it's mind blowing. And then that kind of all trickles. It keeps trickling down like guys that those guys have trained, you know, like he was just so good at uh, connecting with different people. And we've said it a bunch of times on this podcast, but often his greatest skill was his ability to manage up. And I mean, I don't want to get into the Sabre situation too quickly here, but you look at a, you look at a scenario where a general manager and an owner just were not able to uh, come together on a lot of things. Uh, They cited philosophical differences, uh, feeling like they weren't being heard by the GM. Those are all things Brian Murray had to deal with times 10. I mean, look at what Dorian has to deal with with Melnick these days. I'm sure um, Brian Murray dealt with all sorts of stuff similar to that, but he was so good at dealing with Melnick as an owner uh, when he was a GM that a lot of these things, I'm sure, didn't even get to surface because he dealt with them right when they were a problem. And, man, do we miss a guy like Brian Murray these days especially. So I, I, I'd have a hard time asking or finding anyone that would think that Brian Murray shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. 17 years as a head coach in the National Hockey League. He made the playoffs 13 of those seasons. So, so much success finishing first or second so many times as well. And you mentioned the off-ice, just the character of who he was and the the family man he was. You see his brother was a head coach in the National Hockey League. Um, his nephew, he he lear- was able to learn. Tim Murray, I'm referring to, got to learn under Brian as the assistant general manager in Ottawa before going on to bigger things. And the list goes on and on. Uh, David Poyle is another great example of a guy who succeeded after learning in Washington from Mike Brian Babcock Murray. from Anaheim. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Brian Murray, very deserving. Same with Daniel Alfredson. You mentioned the Sabres gong show. We're going to get to that in segments, but June 18th, the birthday of a Sens legend. Chris Neal, when I say the words Chris Neal to you, what comes to mind? The first thing that comes to mind when you say Chris Neal to me is every time he won a fight, leaving the fight and tossing his hands up in the air to get the crowd roaring, get the crowd on his feet because Chris Neal lived for that. I'm sure the best part of his fights were hearing the crowd noise after he absolutely dominated someone, whether it's Zidane Chara, whether it's Ty Domi, whether it's Brandon Prust. You know, the list goes on. Like, I just, I, we were talking off air, Ross. I was just watching Chris Neal highlight videos, and my cheeks hurt from smiling to just ear to ear because the hits that he was able to throw, and just like the classic Chris Neal is on the ice. Anytime a player, like it's that little play that you don't think is much where they'll chip it off the boards with kind of like a one stick push and then put their head down to get three quick strides to get at that puck. Soon as Neil saw that head down, pop, you're done. Yeah. 
He was and gone. He, and how about how about the one on Hedman coming from behind his net in his rookie year? And you mentioned how he fed off the crowd. Well, the lightning announcers, like, you don't really notice him as much on the road, but there's something about when Chris Neal is in this building that he oh, just yeah. jacks himself up to a whole nother level. Something that's so fascinating about Chris Neal is if you look at the old photos, he entered the NHL as a 22-year-old in 2001. He was... I'll say husky. I'll use the Paul McLean vocabulary. He was husky. He was a, a wide set fighter. And that's after he scored a lot of goals in junior too. But he completely reinvented his body during the 0405 lockout when a lot of those like slower, tough guys, they were weeded out. But what did Chris Neal do the year after the lockout? He put up his best offensive season, 16 goals, over 30 points still managing 204 penalty minutes. It just showed to his, not only his character, but his work ethic and knowing that he had to adapt his game to continue playing in the National Hockey League while still being a pugilist. Like, this guy fought Ryan Reeves in his final season. He's 37 years old, fighting a 25-year-old alpha of the National Hockey League in Ryan Reeves. He was never scared of anybody. And if you go through his fight chart, like, the just the names that he fought the most, like, Five times going against Sean Thornton and Eric Bolton, who is an animal. And then Rick Rippin three times, rest in peace. Ty Domi three times. Tanner Glass three times. And I had to bring up that name because the last one wasn't even a fight. Tanner Glass wanted nothing to do with Chris Neal. And that was in game five after losing game three and four in New York. Guy Boucher gets the tap. I think it was from upstairs saying you're putting Nealer in the lineup. Played two minutes, got 17 penalty minutes, but Kyle Turris credits the turnaround in that series to Chris Neal. Then you start digging into his numbers, and we tweeted out at Sense Central on the account yesterday that while Chris Neal was in the National Hockey League 2001 to 2017, he had almost 1,000 more penalty minutes than anybody else. 2,522. Scott Hartnell second with just over 1,600. And you know what the comeback to that is, Pilsy? Well, yeah, you cherry-picked those years. So I went 10 years further back this morning from 1992 when the Ottawa Senators got their team, all right? The 92-93 season until today. So three years after he leads, leaves the NHL as well. And the numbers are just as impressive. Here's the guys who have more penalty minutes than Chris Neal. Ty Domi, Donald Brashear, and Matthew Barnaby. That's it. How many of those guys never got suspended? I'm going to guess none of them have a clean record. That's uh, that's my guess. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I don't actually have the stats, but I just wanted to let everyone know that Chris Neal never suspended. Shout out to Keith Kachuk, too, sixth on that list. We'll see Brady rising uh, as the years go on as well from one kid to another it was awesome to get the chance to speak to uh, young buck just got back from his first year at uh western so without further ado i think it's time for the third episode of our send central citizen and buckle up because this take is spicy but before we get to jack we have to tell you about rock auto you know it's a family business that serves auto parts online and that they've been doing it for a long time yeah 20 years go to rockauto.com right now and you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers they have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps motor oil even new carpet whether it's for your classic or daily driver get everything you need in just a few easy clicks it's all delivered directly 
to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and you can choose the brands, specifications, and of course the prices that you prefer best of all. Prices are always reliably low at rockauto.com and they're the same whether you're a professional or just a do-it-yourselfer. Why spend twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box. That way they'll know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. All right, here he is, Jack Richardson. We're now very pleased to welcome Jack Richardson to the podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Jack. Richardson, but without the A, way to sneak that one past us. But you've been a Sens fan for a long time. We can see the Carlson jersey hanging in the background. What was your first memory of being an Ottawa Senators fan? I moved to Ottawa. We moved, my family moved here when 2006, the summer of 2006. And I, uh, I was born in Edmonton, so I was kind of an Oilers fan when I was really young. And then I guess that summer was the year they went to the finals. So that's kind of my first taste of hockey. Then the year after just as we had moved to Ottawa, the Sens were in the finals. So you kind of just felt the buzz around the city and stuff. So and then from there on, I was just, you know, I, I kind of just followed my dad. He was, he got a jersey and I was like, uh, hopped on board. So that's pretty much it. So you threw away the uh, Oilers fan pretty quickly then, eh, Jack? Yeah, but I, I, I have a little bit of a soft spot for them. So they're probably the ones I secretly cheer for other than the Sens, I'd, I'd say. And it's a lot easier with, you know, McDavid on the team. Yeah, and, and we'll be in out west only playing twice a year. It wouldn't be until the Stanley yeah. Cup final. That'd be a hell of a Stanley Cup final too. get, and it get was, the whole country involved. They flirted with it in 2017, like doing that in that run. Like they were close. And I was I was a little – I started thinking about it and then, you know, it didn't work out. Well, but, what yeah. would happen? Where where would your allegiances have lied? Oh, with the Sens for sure, but – Right answer. Yeah. All right. Well, you also caused caused a bit of a stir in in this uh, in this room. At least Pillar and I were going back and forth because I think we can all agree that Pierre Dorian's had uh, his hands tied a little bit when it ter- comes to finances, and we don't have to dig deep into that. But you came out, and now it's even in your bio, Pierre Dorian fan. What uh, what is it about him that you think makes him such a good general manager? Well, here's the thing: I the hands tied the hands tied analogy is perfect because I'm really curious to see, and maybe we'll one day, who knows, um, what he'd do without an owner, you know, and just locking him up like he has been, you know, like with the so many trades like have just been because of money and I, I'm curious like he, he I think if I'm not wrong his his background is a scout like he was yep. a scout I think a lot of his draft picks and stuff like that like I'm not sure about the history but I'm pretty sure he was behind the Carlson trade I don't know how long he's been with the Sens yeah he was he was a, the head scout actually during that time sure yeah so just stuff like that like you can tell he's got a really good hockey mind the thing that is bad about him is I can see why fans kind of hop on like those press conferences after the, all those big trades were just brutal. Like, How about the meet me at Navin Arena? Oh my God. That period was just absolutely brutal. And like, it was, I saw it on Twitter the other day. It's this account that says like hockey images that precede unfortunate events or whatever. And it was the picture of him in the interview, I think right after the Carlson trade. And it was the quote where he went, we're a team. You know, it was, it was that one. So that it was just a gong show. But I think he's, 
made some moves. Obviously, the Carlson trade is looking phenomenal right now, but I, I just think he's made move mediocre, I'd say. But without an owner tying his hands financially, I think he'd be able to do a lot of good stuff. Not even just finances, like they're just the PR uh, issues as well that he's ha- kind of had to navigate around. So yeah. what we like to do here on uh, the Send Central Citizen is you're now the third person to be on this segment. Congrats to you. Big honor. Shirts we'll send you a t-shirt pretty soon here. So what we like to do is you got to come on here with one of your hottest takes about the sense we know you're a dorian fan so uh, we already got that one covered what's your next hottest take about the ottawa senators this season or in general i mean mine's i I, it's kind of doubling back on the dorian thing so it's a trade and it was uh the uh Broussard and Zibanejad trade. So that, in hindsight, looks terrible, obviously, like as so many trades do. But I still think that it was the right move for the time. I've talked about it with people on Twitter, and I really, I'm definitely in the minority on it. I just feel like at the time it was made, it was summer of 2016. The Sens had just missed the playoffs. Carlson had that, like, I think he was point per game that year or somewhere close. But... Should have been the Norris. I think he was like eighth for the heart, actually, that year. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was, he was up there. And so he had a great season, but they missed the playoffs. And I think... I, I'm not sure if they had already hired Guy Boucher. I can't remember. I, I feel like they had. I think it was all were. that same summer. Because, yeah, yeah. The, the first move Dorian ever made was at the draft where he traded up one spot to get Logan Brown. But his first, like, player-for-player player trade was the Zabanishad Broussard. I, I feel like I'm pretty sure Boucher was named the coach. And, you know, they made a move for a guy who was – proven and like I think when he came to Ottawa he had the nickname Big Game Brass right like it was he was a known playoff performer and I think when you look at the numbers and stuff at the time like the the analytics and all that like I think Zibanejad was still slightly better but I honestly think that if you just switch their places not even during just during that season but even during the playoffs because the Rangers went pretty far right they lost in the second round of the Sens that year but I don't think the Sens would have had the same success with Zibanejad in that same role that Broussard played. That's actually a really interesting take because Broussard was solid in that playoffs 11 yeah. points in 19 games had that signature moment finishing off the uh, the Carlson we'll call it the gazelle play where he just <laughs> went all around the zone and found Broussard back door um, and then the the ultimate picture where he's pulling out the uh, the logo after one of the wins. I think he was one of the stars there. And I think Sens fans, well, they didn't realize that it was a blowout trade. After they beat the Rangers, like, oh, we won the trade, right? Yeah. You make a one-for-one trade, you play each other in the playoffs. Well, better guy, <laughs> better team wins there. Um, Pilsy, where did you stand on that? It's interesting because, yeah, like you said, in hindsight, it, it looks bad, especially when Zibanejad is lighting it up with Panarin in New York, like just a dynamic duo there. And then Brassard, we all know how that played off, getting shipped off to Pittsburgh. But it's interesting because, yeah, it's sure, Zibanejad's numbers obviously are way better. But do you guys remember at the end of that season, the first season when the uh, Brassard was with the Sens, Pierre Dorian announced that he was their best player overall, like through analytics and through everything and I think Broussard only finished with like 39 points or something like he he wasn't filling the stat sheet but they said like looking at his Corsi and the scouts and all the Atlantic analytic guys were saying that Broussard was the best performing player of the entire team so it depends how you look at it I think uh in a roundabout way it did make sense I think Zibanejad wouldn't have really fit in where the team is going now and with all the up-and-coming centermen that the centers have now it's it's okay but looking back it's tough but yeah that's an interesting take because I think I think you got a point it could it could have been the right move at the time and talking big game brass 44 points in 59 playoff games with the Rangers before being sent to Ottawa as well so he did have a knack for that and the familiarity with Guy Boucher which is something I want to ask you Jack do you think that's something that that's overlooked a little bit because we saw that with Guy Boucher bringing in his boy Tom Pyatt, Nate Thompson, 
Um, and among others, it seemed like everyone the Sens brought in had a connection to Guy Boucher. Do you think that's a, a positive sign that the GM and coach are on the same page? Or should the GM build the team specifically how he wants it to be played? That's a really good question. I think given Guy Boucher's like really specific system, that's a really good thing. I think he adapted it. He's, he claimed that he adapted it for Carlson or something. I don't know. Was, that was when Carlson was just on a pedestal for everyone. Like an absolute god. But I think that with a coach like Boucher, it's important you're on the same page. And you even saw it with the Leafs this season, right? Like Dubas and Babcock were not on the same page. You can tell now though that Dubas and Keith are on the same page. So it's just, I think that it's important for that because as Separate as the front office and on ice stuff is, the GM literally controls who the coach has at his disposal. So I think it, it's definitely important that they're on that they're talking about what kind of players and like all the coaches are like, oh yeah, the trade deadline, that's not my job. And they're lying. Like they're watching. They know who they want. They know they see them every night. They'd be like, oh, he'd be a great fit here. And you know, making making trades just because of that. Like there's so many different factors. And I didn't even mention this before, but with Zabanajad, like you have no idea if he would have gelled with the people that Broussard played with on a line. You know, there's so many intangibles that go with trades, but I definitely think that coaches and GMs need to be on the same page. All right, Jack, before we let you go, I saw yesterday you tweeted out the results of a uh, Tankathon spin and they weren't good. So let's give you an opportunity to redeem yourself here. You can pull up tankathon.com backslash NHL and give us a spin with the draft lottery now one week away. Oh boy. I, uh, I made that and or I did that and I said, you know what? The fact that that's even possible is just shocking to me. So you want me to run it now? Yeah, yeah, run it right now. Let's see what what we got. Ha! Nice. So we got Ottawa at first. Okay. Detroit slid down one. Buffalo moved into third, and then San Jose. Our pick is at four. So one first and fourth. That's how you wrap we'll up a it. Send Central Citizen segment. Jack Richardson again on Twitter at Jack Richardson, but forget the A. Thank you for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate Jack joining us. Love the hot takes. Keep them flying. We wanted to tell you as well that the Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, all the hosts across the entire network, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. Let's make our boss's pockets a little bit lighter for a great cause. If you want to join in and make your own donation along with us, we would love that. And you can do it with one easy click. Just go to lockedonpodcast.com backslash Black Lives Matter. That's lockedonpodcast.com backslash Black Lives Matter matters it's an awesome initiative we're glad that our bosses are getting on board with us it's great to know that the whole that the whole company is on board for such a good cause and we also want to tell you that built bar is still with us yep you know they're the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar they're so delicious Pillsy, I know you had a workout today. What kind of built bar did you finish off with? Ross, I think uh, this is a bit of a throwback I think this was my favorite flavor for our first ad read I love the mint brownie delight. Mint chocolate, I don't know what it is. It's it's a weird mix, but it just works. Like, yeah, like mint chocolate ice cream, anything wow, like that, bet. like that kind of flavor just gets me going. So, uh, yeah, that was really good for, for my workout on this hot June day. Yeah, low calories, low sugar, high protein, and that's what you need, especially with some high fiber when you're getting the bars flowing. 
and you can get yours too. And for a limited time, select items on their website, builtbar.com, are all the way up to 50% off. So you got to see it to believe it. Go to builtbar.com right now and use promo code locked on. That way they'll know that we sent you over to builtbar.com. Support the pod, support a great protein bar, builtbar.com. All right, Pillsy, before we get to our prospect ranking, are the Sens not the most dysfunctional organization anymore? What is going on with the Sabres? Sorry for the pun here, but uh, the Sabres really sliced through their entire Yikes. employees uh, in that organization. I mean, and this is the frustrating part. I've said it on this podcast a couple times. The Sabres have always kind of been like my my secret second favorite team. I always wanted to root for them. Uh, it's way easier to watch a game in Buffalo than Toronto, even if we're just a couple subway stops away from the arena. It's way uh, more convenient to go to Buffalo and you don't have to pay an arm and a leg just to see the team. So I've, I've always loved it. And But the problem with this Buffalo franchise, and it seems like it's been ever since the new owners came in, it's they just don't have the patience. Like Tim Murray, I think, only had three years as general manager manager there. And then Botterill only gets three years, too. Like, three years is not enough. Like, by the time three years has gone by, if you're lucky, the guys you drafted in your first year are in the minors, are in the AHL. Like, you don't have enough time for things to pan out. And I actually think that that team that Tim Murray assessed was a pretty solid team. Like, look at Ryan O'Reilly. He's one of the best two-way centers in the game. And the, Botterill got a terrible return on that trade. So I just think it's they need to stick to it, and they just keep flip-flopping around. I don't even know how many head coaches they've had in the past nine uh, years. It's been crazy. But hopefully Jack Eichel gets some uh, real support this season. And I'm worried, though, they're going to do what they did. Uh, when was that? When they had all that cap space and they gave Billy Leno a bunch of money, Christian Airhoff. So. Yeah, like they were just handing out money for all these free agents, overpaying them. I'm worried we're going to see that again, and it's going to be much of the same from the Sabres this season. Well, and Jack Eichel, I mean, God bless him. This would be his last year um, standing for a disappointment. He got to see firsthand his teammate disgruntled, go somewhere else, and win. And that is scary, knowing that, he can kind of pull the puppet strings wherever. And then you think of all the other guys, men and women who, who lost their jobs. 22 cuts in all. So the Even Pagula, the Rochester American team got hurt. Like and they uh, were they good. Had, uh, yeah, they had an amazing season. And the head coach gets gassed. Like, yikes. Well, when your coach gets gassed or when you're going through a rebuild like the Sabres are now again or the Senators are, um, you get high picks. And with that, let's move up to number 11 on our Send Central draft rankings. Of course, if you've miffed, we've been counting down all the way from 50. So head to wherever you get your podcasts if you want to download and listen and learn about some older, or not older, but guys who ranked a little bit lower than number 11. But today we've got another Alberta boy. And you know how they make him out in the... Uh, in the Rockies, they're big, they're burly, and they can skate. And that is a perfect assessment, I would say, of Dylan Holloway. Ross, finally, we're getting a guy here who we're not uh, humming and hawing, like, oh, is his size going to be a problem? Like, maybe he's going to grow a little uh, after he gets drafted. No, he already has the size. And I think, uh, ironically, you were talking about uh, kind of his Western upbringing as being tough and stuff like that. I think a perfect way to describe him this guy plays for the Wisconsin uh, Badgers. He is a Badger. Like, this guy, he's he's got speed, especially for a guy of his size. He's so strong in his feet. Like, the highlights I was watching, 
guys just could not get the puck off him. Whether it was him just uh, kind of shrugging off a check they would try or just dancing right around them. Uh, he's just a tough guy to get the puck from. And I think the thing I like best about Holloway is he does all those little things right. Like from zone to zone in uh, the defensive zone, neutral zone, and offensive zone, he's doing all the things right. He's forechecking hard. He's aggressive. I feel like he's a guy that uh, Parley's not here, so there's no player comparable. But I'll compare him to a guy, uh, either Connor Brown or Zach Hyman. They're the guys that they're going to do all those little things right and get the puck to the guys who can put it in the back of the net. Like, he's going to be the guy in the corner digging and battling to get that puck to uh, Lafreniere, and then Lafreniere scores for the Senators, and we're going to be seeing that year in, year out. So you mentioned he played for Wisconsin among notable players like Cole Caulfield, Alex Turcott, and Keandre Miller. Would you be worried that was an underperforming team this year? Um, only eight goals, nine assists for our boy Dylan Holloway, but he was one of only two draft-eligible players who are ranked high enough to be in the top two rounds that was playing at his age at that level. Yeah, I'm not too concerned about the points because, like I said, he's not a guy who you're looking for him to fill the stat sheet every night. You know, that's that's just not his thing. And sure, he may not have uh, come out of the gates as, as explosive as you would think for a guy who won the AJHL Most Valuable uh, Player Award a full year before his NHL draft year, but... He's also one of the younger guys playing in college. I think it's just going to take time. Um, with a lot of these prospects, like people just expect immediate results, and if you're not getting two points a game, then you're a bust. Like these things take time. Like we're talking about seventeen-year-old and eighteen-year-old uh, kids here. So I don't see any problems with uh, Dylan Hallway in that perspective when you're looking at uh, his numbers looking a little lackluster because I think he's going to be a full, complete player within a couple of years here. Yeah, he's a guy who, you mentioned physicality, led Wisconsin with 46 penalty minutes, which is a, a similar number to what Brady Kachuk put up in his lone year in the NCAA. Exactly. Of course, there's no fighting, so you don't get the uh, the stat pump with penalty minutes in, in that situation. But he's a guy who's hard-nosed and, and can really play. I mean, Brady did have 61 pims, but he's just on a, a level of his own. But Dylan Holloway, when you look back to to his last season playing in uh, Okotoks, which um, two years ago, so when he was a 16-year-old playing junior A, he was actually teammates with Sens prospect Jacob Bernard Docker. So a little familiarity never hurt anyone, but um, the offense was really a proving point of, of his game back then. Yeah, and I, I think uh, it's it's like many players who, you know, when they're going through the kind of junior ranks, they're just lighting it up. And then once they get guys with a little more size, a little more skill, a little more um, better defensive awareness, it becomes a lot harder to put those points up. Again, I'm, I'm not concerned with that with Holloway. Like, I just, I love all the little things. He's He's one of those guys, he's kind of a coach's dream, you know, like, He's a guy a coach is going to tell you is his favorite player when you think it's one of the goal scorers. But no, it's the guys that do the little things right and don't need it to be kind of nagged and reminded of where you have to be. Uh, you need to be more aggressive here. Like, I feel like he's already got a lot of those things down pat. Yeah, he had 40 goals and 88 points in uh, in Okotoks Junior A as a 17-year-old and then had four points, 10 penalty minutes, and seven games at the World Junior A Challenge. But you mentioned a coach's dream, and how about the fact he's already pushing over 200 pounds at six feet tall in his draft year. He's only going to get bigger. He's a guy who could even play up at 220. So he's a guy we're going to be keeping our eye on very closely, depending where that Islanders pick is. And Pilsy, when we come back, 
for our episode. The next one will drop on Saturday morning. We're going to be talking about top 10 picks now. That must be pretty exciting. I know I am. It's finally here. I mean, we it's crazy. We started doing this with five prospects a day being like, hey, we got to rifle through these prospects. The draft's coming up. Like, let's go. And then we got stalled and we got stalled and stalled. And here we are. So, but it's been nice because we've been able to break down prospects slower than we went to three prospects, then two, now one. So we've been able to kind of get, uh, dig deeper on these guys. And the top 10 is just riddled with talent. So I can't wait to take deeper dives on all these guys in the top 10 for our Sens draft rankings. And we'll talk to you then. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast where we've got your team every day.